0: To see you Lord Jesus is to marvel at you and to be caught up in adoring you because there's no one like you. You're the great high priest. You're the Lord of all. You're the savior of all of those who believe you died for us. You rose for us. You ascended for us. You're seated at the right hand of the father making intercession for us. You are amazing. We pray that this morning, as we study the Word of God, we would find ourselves more and more in love with you and better followers of you, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You can be seated. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Calvary Chapel. See some new faces this morning, and we welcome you uh, especially and are glad that you're here to join us as we study the Word of God and as we worship the Lord. Amen. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, so if you would turn there with me. For, for those of you that are new, we're working our way right through the Bible, and uh, we're taking a time to do a series on the whole book of Ephesians. And so on Sunday mornings, we're in the book of Ephesians, and uh, now we find ourselves in chapter 4. And so that's our methodology here at Calvary. Last week's study was uh, verses 1 through 16 of this great chapter, and as we pointed out, it's in the section of the book where it's dealing with our response to the spiritual blessings we've received in Christ. And the response that we're to have is to walk worthy of the Lord and walk worthy of the calling with which we've been called. And if you notice the language that the Holy Spirit uses in verse 1, the Lord beseeches us to have a walk worthy. It's the word to beg, to entreat, to invite. Uh, He could make a very direct command because he's the Lord, but he invites us, that's his methodology, he invites us into this walk. He begs us into this walk, he entreats us into this walk which is worthy of him. And this walk produces the kind of life that is humble and is gentle and is other-centered. It's the kind of life with other believers sharing a common set of core values, one God, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one spirit, common set of beliefs and values And of course, as part of Christ's body, we have been given gifts, spiritual gifts, with which to bless others within the body of Christ and outside of the body of Christ. And then we're to, as part of his church, grow up into him, grow up into Christ because of the equipping gifts that he has provided for the church, the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, the former ministry of the apostles and prophets, etc. And so this is where we find ourselves, an equipped, united group of people in the body of Christ, having been given gifts of the Spirit, using those to be a blessing to others, growing up into Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. That's the picture that was painted in last week's study. Living this way of course, requires an entirely new and different kind of person. If you are a true believer, just rewind your tape long enough to remember what your life was like apart from Christ. And there was no desire whatsoever in that state to live with other Christians, to discover what it means to live for others and for the Lord, to be in unity with Christian people, to grow up into Christ, these are things that were obnoxious to us before we were converted. They were offensive to us. We didn't want anything to do with them. And why? Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We needed the gospel. We needed the good news. We needed the new birth. Jesus said, if you're not born again, you can't inherit or see or perceive the kingdom of heaven. That's what we needed. We needed the new birth. And so we came to Christ, those of us that are true believers. We accepted the amazing gift of salvation which God has provided in him, dying for us on the cross, rising from the dead. We accepted that on his terms, and now we're living a new kind of life which enables us to be in the body, living as his people. So that's the picture, again, that is painted. We're to avoid living in such a way as believers that gives the world the idea that we're not much different than they are. Rather, we're to live as believers in such a way as if the world looks at the way we live and they say, wow, what's different about them? They don't live like other men. They don't live like other women. What is different about them? And so we're to avoid compromise or anything that would keep us living like worldly people live, but instead living like Jesus himself would have us to live. Now we call ourselves Christians. That's the title we give to ourselves. But we often forget that that was a term that was used by others to identify the believers in Antioch whose behavior was like Christ. I mean, really, it's kind of... Uh, an amazing claim to call myself a Christian. Because when I say I'm a Christian, I'm really saying I'm like Jesus. Because that's how it was used when it was first coined, that particular term. Now, I don't mind if another person calls me a Christian. Um, I'm, not so he- I'm not so ready to give that title to myself. Let others do that, but not me. The Bible says, let another man praise you and not your own mouth is stranger and not your own lips, Amen. So I don't want to I don't want to do that, but I am a true I am a believer in Jesus Christ. And I love that title for myself as I use it to myself, but as a believer in Jesus Christ, we need to be consistent and walk worthy of our calling and live as Christians. So that leads us to our text this morning in verse 17. Because this is the very issue that Paul wanted to deal with as he writes to these Ephesian believers. He wanted them to live, not as the world around them, but he wanted them to live as Christ had called them to live. And so he gives us this passage to help us. Verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardening of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to licentiousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. So in talking about the world the unconverted world, he refers to them in verse 17 as being Gentiles. That is the non-Jewish nations and people, those that are outside of the faith. That's the term that is used to describe them. And we're not to walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Now notice, in the futility of their mind. And so the futile thinking of the unconverted world in the futility of their mind. The Bible says that the unconverted world is characterized by futile thinking or having futile minds, empty minds, worthless minds. Now this doesn't say that people in the world, unconverted or pre-Christians, if you will, don't have intelligence, because obviously people in the world have great, deal of intelligence and don't have insight on, a ma- on many great matters. That's, they have great insights on a great deal of matters. There are many un- unconverted people, obviously, who are far more intelligent than I am or would ever hope to be. But what this is saying is that the thinking of the unconverted Gentile world has no real point to it, spiritually or eternally. It's futile thinking in that it's not spiritual thinking. It lacks the fear of the Lord, which is, as the Bible says, the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom begins by fearing God. Wisdom begins when one respects God, listens to what he has to say, recognizes his presence... And begins to live accordingly. That's the fear of the Lord. And the fear and the uh, thinking of the unconverted world doesn't have the fear of the Lord or spiritual things or eternal things as the center of their thought life. Therefore, it's called feudal thinking. That's what the Bible says. And this feudal thinking produces particular characteristics. An understanding that is darkened, verse 18. Meaning there's no light, no eternal or spiritual light in their thinking. Their understanding is darkened. They are alienated from God's life. That means they have no life, no real life. They have biological life. They have life on the level of the soul, but they don't have any spiritual life you know that there are three aspects of our beings. We are physical creatures, we are soulish creatures, and we are spiritual creatures. And the spiritual part of man is only active when one knows the Lord Jesus Christ personally. Otherwise, we're just operating on two levels, the intellectual, the volitional, and the physical. And so there is no life with the unconverted Gentile world, meaning there's no love No agape love, there's no true joy, there's no divine peace, there's no divine patience. None of these things exist within the life of the unconverted person. And note also in verse 18, there is an ignorance that is in them. And this is a willful ignorance. This is a choice that the unconverted world has made up until the time of their conversion, a choice to reject Christ and a choice to run from God and ignore him and not have anything to do with him. I mean, it's not hard to prove that. Just go up and try to tell somebody about Jesus. And the typical person isn't just falling all over themselves, anxious to hear every word you have to say because their understanding is darkened and they're alienated from the life of God because of the willful ignorance that is within them. And verse 18 uh, also tells us it's because of the hardening of their hearts. And basically, bottom line, their heart is a heart problem. Jesus said, men will not come to him because they do not wish to do the truth and have their deeds exposed that they are wrought in God. And so that's the reason why people have avoided Christ. It's a choice that people make. Now these choices and this futile thinking that is part of the Gentile world produces a moral depravity. Verse 19. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to licentiousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So this... Thinking, which is futile, which has a darkened understanding, has no life, no spiritual life in it, willful ignorance, and a deliberate hardening of the heart, this produces moral depravity. This produces a life which is without checks and balances, it's without truth as the foundation, it's without any accountability to God or concern for what he thinks. It has no restraint. And that's what licentiousness means. Licentiousness means that there is no restraint upon my life to do anything that I want to do, and there's no sense of shame or fear when I do it. And that's the way the unconverted world lives. I mean, things that are horrible in God's eyes are common and accepted in the world's eyes. And it's easy to see that, and it's easy to prove that. It's just the way it is, and it all goes back to the choices and the futile thinking of verses 17 and 18. No restraint, no sense of shame, no sense of fear whatsoever, and this also is done with uncleanness and greediness. Now, the word uncleanness used to refer mostly to sexual sins, but Now greed is thrown in with it because greed has to do with wanting what I do not have and doing whatever I can do to get it. So you throw those two things together and it's a lethal, sinful conversation or uh, result. You know, why does God say no to things anyway? We have to remind ourselves of this. Why does God say no to certain behaviors? Why does he say that sex outside of the marriage relationship is forbidden? Why does he say that marriage is between a genetically biological male and a genetically biological female? Why does he say that stealing is wrong? Why does he say that drunkenness is forbidden? Why does he say that adultery is forbidden? It's because he knows how bad sin is. Sin is forbidden because it's horrible. It's destructive. God says no to it just like a parent says no to the child that wants to play in the middle of the freeway. Of course I'm not going to let my child play in the middle of the freeway. If I did, the child would be destroyed. And so our God and Father says no to these destructive behaviors. And people that engage in these behaviors without restraint and without shame and without guilt are destroying their lives. Absolutely destroying their lives. And I have to say, this breaks God's heart. He's not happy about it. He loves the person that is committing these things. He loves the world so much that he gave his son to die for them. Yet, the pain and the horrible decisions and the separation from God that is taking place, it doesn't make God happy. He has no pleasure in the death of the unrighteous. Yet we live in a world today that has cast off truth. And said there is no such thing as, as truth or ultimate reality or ultimate accountability. Well, this is exactly the type of thing that Paul is saying would happen in the Gentile world because of the futility of their thinking. And because of the ignorance and because of the hardness and because of the lack of life and because no longer able to feel, verse 19 we have given ourselves over the world is that is has given themselves over to licentiousness to live a life with no restraint no sense of shame no sense of fear i mean you know pull up netflix and read and watch uh, a tv program from the 60s and then compare that with what's on the air today i mean there it is Big difference between Leave it to Beaver and whatever's on the air right now, which I don't even know what's on the air right now. But Paul says to them, but you have not so learned Christ. Well, that ought to be obvious to us, right? <laughs> you have not so learned Christ. Christ didn't teach us to live this way. Christ didn't teach us as believers to be without Feeling or without conscience. Christ didn't teach us to live licentious lives that have no restraint or no sense of shame or no sense of fear. You've not so learned Christ, if indeed you've heard him, have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, here we go. This is so exciting to me. I love this passage, because here we have the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul writing to us, telling us what Jesus teaches us about how to live. So pull up a chair, sit at the feet of Rabbi Paul and capital R, Rabbi Jesus, and listen to what Jesus has to say about how to actually live this life. It's so exciting. And we want to, be taught the heart and the way to live the christian life and here it is right in our passage we've been taught by him verse 21 by jesus directly we've heard him we've been taught by him this is the truth the, the truth not a truth the truth that is in jesus this is the way god wants it this is ultimate reality this is real We want to be taught the way to live the Christian life that Jesus teaches us. But today, unfortunately, because of compromise and spiritual confusion and lack of understanding of God's word, oftentimes we have Christians living together outside of marriage and being accepted within their churches. We have Christians living a lifestyle that is dominated by drinking or even perhaps some forms of drug use. We have Christians that are cheating others in business deals. We have Christians that are lying, Christians that are neglecting their families, hurting the ones that love them the most, and still calling themselves Christians. Paul says, you have not so learned Christ. This is not the Christian life. This has nothing to do with what it means to live in Jesus. But here is what the Christian life is. It starts with two things. First of all, put off the conduct of the old man. This is how Christ teaches us. Verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. We're to put off the behavior of the old man. And I want you to notice the the specific way Paul words this. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Notice that Paul does not say that you put off the old man. Why is the language so specific? And what is the difference? And why is it a big deal? Why does Paul say, Don't put off the old man, but rather he says, put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt. The reason is because when we came into Christ, we were so thoroughly identified with him that we died with him, we were buried with him, and we were raised with him. Every single thing that happened to Jesus happens to the true believer at conversion. I died with him, I was buried with him, and I was raised with him. And when I died with him, everything that I was, pre-conversion, everything that I was in Adam, my former life, my former existence, everything I was, which is called the old man, In Romans chapter 6, everything I was, was crucified with him. It no longer lives. The old man was crucified, not is being crucified, but was crucified with Christ. I am not that guy anymore. And if I live consistently at all with the guy that I used to be, if I am at all living like the old man that I used to have, I'm living inconsistently with my new nature. My old man was crucified with Christ. And so when I put off something, I'm not putting off my old man because he died. There is no old man. My old man was crucified with Christ. But I do put off the behavior of the old man. And that's the specific nature of the language here. Romans 6 is so clear on this. And if you haven't learned Romans 6, get Romans 6 into your head and into your heart. Because it's such a key to understanding what it means to be identified with Christ. And so much so that Paul said, count it to be true that you yourselves are dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Count it to be true. Believe as though it is true. Walk as though it is true, because it is true. But we do put off the behavior of the old man. Anything that was connected with that old life, we put it off. We put it off. Intentionally, we put it off. Now what is this giving us a picture of? This is giving us a picture of just something we do every day. We take off old dirty clothes to put on new clean ones. This morning I had to take off my pajamas to put on the clothes I was going to wear to church. There was a taking off and a putting on. And so there's a taking off, a putting off of the behavior of the old life in order that I might put on my new nature by faith and all the behavior that goes with it. This is done by faith. This is done every day. Now I know how to dress myself and I know how to feed myself and I know how to clean myself and burp myself and all those kinds of things that I do for myself. I do it every day. But for the believer, the believer is to include as part of his or her preparation for any day to put off the behavior of the old man. Make sure as you're taking off your pajamas and getting ready to put on your clothes for the day, make sure you also take off the behavior of the old life. Put it off and put on Christ. Make sure you do it every day. How do you do that anyway? Oh, well, we do it in the word. We do it in prayer. We do it through confession of sin. We do it by just dealing with our hearts in an open way before the Lord. We spend time with him. We do it by faith. We put off the old and we put on the new. And why this language? Well, it's just a mental picture, isn't it? It's a word picture. Put off the clothing of the old life, the behavior of the old life. It's a mental picture. It helps us. It's one of the many ways that the Lord is basically trying to communicate the same thing in the New Testament. He says, walk in the Spirit you'll not carry out the deeds of the flesh. Well, walking in the Spirit is essentially the same thing as putting off the old behavior and putting on the new. Man in Christ. It's the same thing. It's saying no to the flesh. It's saying yes to the Holy Spirit. It's denying self to follow Jesus. All of these things are the same thing, but they're given to us in different words so we'll have a lot of different ways to understand the same basic truth that we've got to make a decision against the behavior of the old man and we've got to make a decision for the new nature that we've been given in Christ and live accordingly by the power of the Holy Spirit and so put off concerning your former conduct the old man like a Suit of old, dirty, and grimy clothes. What, parents, you know, if you, if, your parents is, if your child's playing outdoors, gets into the dirt, gets into the mud, what do you say to the child when it's standing in the doorway, ready to come into the house and join the family for the rest of the family activities that day? <laughs> that's right. You say, take off those dirty clothes before you step another foot in this house. And that's the Lord's, is what the Lord is saying to us. Take off the dirty clothes of the behavior of your old life. Get rid of them. That's the first thing. And then the next one, the next thing is to put on the new. The same mental picture, putting on clothing. Verse 24, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and true This is how Christ teaches us. He tells us to put on the new man which is created according to God. Now when did that happen? New birth. Born again. Born of the water, our physical birth. Born of the spirit, our spiritual birth. John chapter 3. Not living in the flesh any longer, but now living in the spirit. The new man, the new creation. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. creation. Old things are, all things have become. There you go. That's what it's talked about here. I'm to put on this new nature by faith. So important for me to see myself and for you to see yourselves as the truth is in Christ. Who are you, anyway? I used to think, well, I'm neutral. I wake up neutral every morning. And so I've got a neutral position from which I start, and I have to make a decision, flesh or spirit. It's like the two-dog analogy that we hear so often. There's a black dog and a, and a white dog. And, uh, you know, the dog that you feed the most, black dog representing sin, white dog representing righteousness, the dog you feed the most wins. But I used to think I went into that battle feeding the dogs neutral until I started really studying the New Testament realized I'm not neutral at all. I start out, start out way on the positive side of things. I'm a new creation in Christ. Are you kidding me? I am a new creation in Christ. I am born again by the Spirit of God. I have been created in Christ Jesus. I am living according to the second Adam, not the first one, Everything I was in the first Adam died. Now I'm in Jesus Christ, the resurrected, exalted Son of God, and He lives inside of me. I am not the same person that I was before I was converted. I'm a completely different human being, even though at times I can feel just like the same old one that I used to be. I start out very much on the positive, you see. And in the positive, I make my choices. Put off the behavior of the old man put on the new nature of the new man by faith. You see the difference that makes. We're not not starting at a disadvantage. We're starting at a great advantage each and every day because the Lord has done something to redeem us. He's actually freed us to give us the ability to choose in a very, very real way. I'm not much of a clothes guy. I don't dream about clothes, think about clothes. I hate shopping for clothes. You know, they're a a necessary evil. I mean, I wear them out of, you know. (laughs) Consideration for you. But I do like to, every once in a while, get a new sweater, new shirt, maybe a new suit. And it is fun to get duded up with my wife and go out and have a nice dinner together and you know just well pretty swavy over here, you know. Sort of like that. But I feel different when I when I do put on a new suit of clothes. It's a different kind of a feeling. I mean, I could go to a nice Valentine's dinner with my wife in my Typical garb. (laughs) Levi's and flip-flops and t-shirts. And the meal would still taste the same, but I sure feel a lot different. And my wife would be going, what? (laughs) What's that all about? But you know, being all nice and Even wearing a little foo-foo and, you know, the little spray and the stuff and combing the hair nicely, maybe even gelling it up a little bit. You know, you just feel different. And that's how it is to put on the new man. Man, it's something different. I'm wearing Christ. I am wearing the clothing of Christ right now. This just is so different. I love this. I love the feeling of it. I love the attitudes of it. I love the behavior of it. I love the life of it. I love the peace of it. I love the purpose of it. I love the focus of it. I love the direction of it. I love the possibilities of it. I like the destiny of it. All of it is good. It's good. And so we're to put that on. It's it's putting on Christ himself by faith. We passed over verse 23, where Paul says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Look at these words that are in our passage that we've read this morning. The mind is mentioned in verse 17. The understanding is, is mentioned in verse 18. The concept of ignorance is mentioned in verse 18. Learned is mentioned in verse 20. Taught is mentioned in verse 21. Truth is mentioned in verse 21. Renewed in the spirit of your mind is mentioned in verse 23. Did you notice that? This whole thing has to do with the mind. It has to do with the truth, which is outside of us, which God gives us. And it has to do with our minds, which is part of us, and what we do with the truth. Everything has to do with our minds engaging with the truth. Our minds engaging with the truth. Now, if I make the mistake of having my mind engage with my emotions, I'm in trouble. Because my emotions don't tell the truth. Oftentimes. They are not a reliable gauge for what is real. They're not a reliable test. You know, my wife, she's an RN, but she wouldn't use a stethoscope to measure brain activity. Because she wouldn't hear anything. (laughs) And so you don't use emotions to gauge truth or where I should be placing my thoughts. I can't rely on my emotions, they will go up, they will go down. But the truth doesn't go up and it doesn't go down. It doesn't waver. It doesn't toss on a sea like a boat in a storm. The truth is what it is. It's there. It's given by God. It's revealed. It's fixed. It's certain. It doesn't waver. It's always the same. And so I'm to align my mind with what's true. Because if you use the word real as a synonym for true, it's the same thing. I fix my mind on what is real. And what is real? The truth. Truth and reality are the same thing. And with the analogy that used to be used by Bill Bright in Campus Crusade, it's a great analogy. You've got fact, Faith, and then feelings. The facts, or the truth, that's the engine of this train. Faith is what I do with the truth, or the facts. I believe in it. The feelings result. The feelings are the caboose. They follow. They're down the line somewhere. Now, if I try to make the feelings the engine then it messes everything up. If I say feelings, faith, facts, I've just ruined the whole thing. Because if I put my trust in my feelings and put my mind on my feelings, I may be putting my trust in and my mind on something that's not even real. And there's a slippery slope, man, going down from there. So I feel discouraged. I feel worthless. Oh, well, I guess I must be worthless. Well, I've just put my confidence in what is not real. i put my confidence in what is a feeling. But instead I say, what does God say about me in Jesus Christ? What is his estimation of me? Oh, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what Psalm 139 verse 16 tells me. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm going to put my confidence in that. Lord, you have made me uniquely. There's a purpose in my life. That changes everything. See, these kinds of choices we make every day. What are we going to think? So here's some questions. What are you thinking about? Next slide. (laughs) That was supposed to be this dramatic entrance into my next point. So, no, no, that's all right. What are you thinking about? And have you ever thought about what you're thinking about? Have you ever thought about thinking about what you're thinking about? (laughs) This may be the first time. But it's true. We need to think about what we're thinking about. This is the whole process of taking our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. So important to take... Um, a proper inventory of our thought life because we need to be thinking what is true, not what we just feel. Amen? Amen. So this whole thing, put off, put on, beautiful, the title of this message, put off or out with the old and in with the new. That's that's what it's all about. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God. Thank you for the truth of Scripture. Thank you for the changes that you make in our lives as we put our confidence and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the huge, cataclysmic difference the person of Jesus has made in us. Thank you for who you've called us to be and what you're making us to be. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And it's all because of what you did for us at the cross and what you did for us in your resurrection and in your ascension into heaven. We thank you for it, Lord Jesus. And we pray this morning for anyone that may be here with us that has never made that personal commitment to you. We pray that you'd open up their mind now and open up their hearts now to understand the truth and to respond to it. And I want to give some of you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ this morning. You've never accepted Christ. You've never allowed him to come into your life and to be your Savior and your Lord. You've never received his forgiveness of all of your sins. But you want to. The Spirit of God is speaking to some right now, I believe. And if your heart and your desire is to be forgiven of your sins. And your heart and your desire is to begin to live a different kind of life. To trust Christ. To allow him to come into your life. He's the son of God. The Bible says he's the way and he's the truth and he's the life. And If your heart is to receive him and respond to him and ask him and invite him into your life, then I want to have a word of prayer with you. And we want to give you some encouragement and help to begin living a life in him. We want to give you an opportunity to put your specific confidence in him, to actually receive him. The Bible says as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, those that believe on his name. So you must receive Christ. God has done what he will do to save you. Now it's up to you to receive it. So if that's your heart and your desire this morning, would you just raise up your hand right where you're seating, sitting? I want to pray for you and have a word of prayer. Okay, I see your hand over there, brother. Anybody else this morning? You want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never asked Jesus to come into your life before. Now's a good time to do that. Anybody else this morning? Anybody else? as we're just continuing to pray I'm going to ask you to to raise your hand would you please stand where you're sitting and, and I want to have you pray a prayer after me would you stand up please and just follow me pray this prayer out loud God I know that I'm a sinner and I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins and I believe he rose from the dead I receive Jesus into my heart. I believe your promise of salvation. Please forgive my sins. Give me a new life. Give me a new heart. Change me, Lord. Begin to make me like you. I give you my past. I give you my sins. I turn from them. And I ask you to make me different. And I ask it in Jesus name. Amen. 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 What's your name, brother? Adrian. Adrian. So good to have you here with us this morning. Um, Pastor Johnny is right here in the fifth row with his hand raised. He's going to connect with you after the service, okay? He wants to give you some encouragement. God bless you.